0: Listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Thank you very much, Freemans, and for our children for leading us this morning. And it's uh it's good to be back. I missed being here. Last week, and uh, my family, we had a great time in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, finally, a long journey uh, came to an end uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, to finally, as my wife said, get your last degree. Uh, she says it's my turn next. And, but man, I just want to say, I was talking to my professor, and he said, just know at some point this is going to hit you. And I know for me, uh, it was actually at the very end. Of our graduating uh, ceremony last week, I'm there at Southern Seminary with several hundred other graduates and room filled with family and friends. And for me, they had the graduates stand up. We didn't know they were going to do this, and the graduates took a a pledge. Um, During this pledge, for me, that is when it sunk in, and I would just say. First of all, what it made me think of is there's so many people to thank. Uh, First of all, my wife and my kids, uh, I loved that they presented the wives with a certificate for them because of all that they did to help the graduates, uh, whether they were a husband or a wife, to achieve that. Definitely the pastoral staff of of Bethel that that pushed me, that encouraged me, and challenged me uh, to to do uh, this degree Uh, To Bethel in large, we could not have done this on our own. Bethel was behind us uh, financially and just with the time needed. Um, To all those parents that over a year ago participated in what we called I Spy. And that was a lot of my project. And so I just say thank you to anyone that prayed for us, encouraged us along the way. But here's what it happened when it hit me. We're taking this pledge and it dawns on me because we're reading these words that this education that I was privileged to be able to receive wasn't at all meant for me. And this certificate, the graduation, all the work, that it was meant for my family and my church to those I would come into contact with, that the education that I was able to receive is meant to be a gift to others. And there was one line in there that it just stuck out, and we read the line that said, Lord, help us to never do anything that would harm your church. And I thought, what a great reminder. Yes, and I'm thankful that I could do this, and that is what we've been praying, that God would use this, not for me, but it would be as a gift uh, to his church, and that he would use it in a very powerful way. So Marla and I just want to say thank you to everyone that had a part in that. It was a great journey, and we pray it will be a very fruitful one. So this morning, I want to invite you back to the Gospel of John. Last week, Fritz Hager, our executive pastor, he opened up our Advent series with the very five first verses of John. He did a great job of doing that, of setting up Advent, which means Advent is the awaiting For an arrival, and we sit in between two advents that we celebrate, we think about, we uh, contemplate that first coming of Jesus Christ into the world. But we know we sit in between advents that we are waiting for His second coming. But John's gospel is very different then the typical one we read at easter and i hope i mean at christmas and i hope you'll find time with your family and maybe you've been going through our family advent books uh, but you would take time to read luke's account and that's the one that we often think about luke focuses a lot on those historical facts luke focuses on mary and joseph the shepherds the manger the swaddling clothes all of those historical facts and that's what luke focuses in on but john is very different. John is not so much interested or concerned about the recording of the historical facts as he's looking at the deeper meaning behind it all. And so in that passage last week, we saw that Jesus was not only a baby that we celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus, this child, is actually the eternal Son of God. Jesus is described as Word, or we saw last week it means Logos. And there was a direct correlation to creation. We saw that the one that is often focused on at Christmas has actually always existed. He created all things, He came to bring life to men. And so last week it was the setting of the stage. For the child that is focused on at Christmas was not a newborn at all, but in fact the eternal Son of God, the one that created all things and He came to bring life to men. You know, we often... Picture that new mother, as our our children read, and that was from the Jesus Storybook Bible of Mary and her husband Joseph, uh, holding that new little baby in that warm comfort of that stable, almost like a Thomas Kincaid painting. But in fact, just outside that stable, a battle is raging. It was a battle, in fact, the world has never seen. It's a battle between darkness and light. And so this morning, we are going to go once again to the Gospel of John. We're going to pick up in verse 6, and we'll go to verse 13 today. But this morning, I want to talk about what is then God's plan for outside the stable? The darkness that is there that is beginning to rage battle, then what is God's plan for that evil that is outside So today's passage, I want to give you just a a quick layout. It's, It's broken up into three major sections. We're going to look at John, not the author, but John the Baptist. And John is going to be a witness to the light. Then we'll see some bad news that many will begin to reject, and they will come to reject the light. But the good news is that some will actually accept it. So this morning we'll pick up in verse 6, John is a witness to the lie. This is how it reads, and there was a man sent from God whose name was John. And isn't the author talking about himself, he's talking about the one John the Baptist. But it's so interesting that the gospel of John begins with five verses of this high, majestic, and uh, this poem of the incarnation of Jesus. And then if you skip ahead, look at verse 9, he talks about Jesus coming, that he's the true light of the world, but in verse 6, it's it's almost like all of a sudden we're reading about Jesus and how majestic he is, how high, this divine poem, and in the middle of all of this, we get John, that weird locust-eating desert preacher. You know, Cousin John, and, and he's just kind of dropped in in the middle of these verses. And I, I, why does John not get us all the way to Jesus? In fact, in first reading, it's like almost like we missed something. That there's something there, like a page has been torn out of a book. So why does the author John place John the Baptist in the middle of this poem all about Jesus? Well, look at verse 7. So it says there was a man sent from God, and his name was John. And in seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So the fact, sorry, says John is a man, but John was a man born in a unique time for a very unique purpose fact he was born to the priest Zachariah and his mother Elizabeth and if you've read through the gospels you're familiar with this story and the custom would have been that John would have actually been named after his father Zachariah but an angel comes to them and he tells them no he's going to be different his name is going to be John And so, God, He has a a plan for John's life. In fact, it's a plan that He nor His parents would have ever imagined for Him. Okay, so then what's John's purpose? You know, we often think about John the Baptist. We picture him standing in the Jordan, baptizing people, calling to repentance. But before He was ever John the Baptist, He was John the Witness. John's sole purpose in life was simply to be a witness, to to bear testimony. But to what? John was to bear witness. He was to be a testimony to the light. John was to tell others he was to bear witness to the truth of Jesus. That John was to testify to the truth of who he was and what he came to do. Nothing more, nothing less And the purpose of him being this witness was that all might believe through him. Think about that. All those that were to come to know Christ, to believe in him, they're all going to come out of John. But how in the world is that possible? Well, verse 8. He was not the light. He wants to make sure he was a man. Yes, a unique purpose in a unique time But he was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He was only to bear witness to the truth of the light. And so here's a good, for me, here's a good word picture of this. John, John's the moon. The moon. And this is John. Think of it this way Jesus is the sun, and John, he's this moon. In the light of the sun, it shines bright during the day. In the moon, it's that comforting glow. In the sky at night. But the moon, the moon has no light of its own. In fact, those that have been there, they'll tell you, they'll describe it as this dark, this gray, and, and there's no light in it, but it simply reflects the light that is shown to it. And so the moon reflects that light, and so John is simply to reflect the light that has been shown to him. And we know that God spoke to him while he was even in his mother's womb. So John's purpose for his entire life was to reflect the light of Christ to a dark world. So why? So why in the world does the author introduce John the Baptist here? He sets it up for five verses about Jesus and the Logos, and he is the light coming to man. And then we're going to get to it in verse nine. So, why does he just drop John, the weird locust eating preacher, right into our laps, beginning in verses six, seven, and eight? I mean, it seems abrupt. We have him verses one through five, we'll see Jesus in nine. But I want us to know that it seems like in this minute that he's coming. That why does he not get us just all the way to Jesus? He introduces him, and then he tells us about Cousin John. Because listen, John, the author, he could, have, he could have written this any way that God had led him to, but he didn't. In fact, John, the author, he is writing to make it crystal clear that from the very beginning, that God's way of letting the light of Christ shine into the world is human witness, that God's way of pushing back the darkness is by the human witness. He could have done it by angels. He could have written the gospel in the sky with big puffy clouds. He could have used the wind to talk to everyone. But instead, God chose to call and to send human beings to bear witness to the light. But I still have to ask, then, Why in the world would God use flawed, frail, inadequate, ill-tempered, impatient, selfish, and sinful human beings to push back the darkness of the world? Because I look around and go, God, you could have gone a lot of different better ways than to use us. But I think of it this way. There's really kind of two types of outdoorsmen. I love the outdoors. I always have Growing up in Northwest Arkansas, it was just all around us. It was our playground. So there's like the modern day guy. You know, the modern day guy can harvest an animal with a high-powered rifle, sitting in a heated stand after he has planted food plots and and you know fed the the animals maybe corn or whatever it is for several months. Put up cameras and patterned their behavior and and he can harvest something. Or there's that. Native American who could attract an animal and gotten so close to harvest it with a bow that he carved it with his own hands, made an arrow with a piece of stone as the point. Or what about the world-class angler? Watching a show with Marcus the other day, a guy out of Florida, probably tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment with boats and reels and all kinds of things going out to catch cellfish. And listen, you can do that. But then we saw a 60-year-old weathered man from Costa Rica go out in a wooden boat and catch one with nothing but the line in his bare hands. So let me ask you, which one is more impressive? So I believe God uses flawed and inadequate humans like John to push back the darkness because it shows him to be more glorious than we could ever imagine. And John was to testify to the truth of Jesus so that others would believe, so that the darkness would be pushed back. But John, he's not around anymore. I've never met him one day. I I hope that we can. So then what's God's plan? Because it says through him that all would come to believe. So John was the witness then. But guess what now? Now it's the church. And the light is to shine in the darkness today. is to be reflected by you and me, the church. And the church is the perfect mirror of reflecting the light into a world full of darkness. And are we flawed? Absolutely. Are we inadequate? At every turn. But that's what makes him more glorious. Is that he could use the imperfect to shine his light into a dark world. So then... He kind of switches, and he he goes to kind of where he began. So the next thing we see is the bad news that many will reject the light and choose to stay in darkness. Look at verses 9 and 10. But the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. And this is where we get another introduction into Jesus. And we see him in verses one. He's talked about as the word, in verse three, the Creator. And now, the true light. But not everyone, not everyone welcomes this light into their life. But true, true means it means He's complete. He is authentic. He is dependable. And Jesus comes in this way as the complete, authentic, and dependable light. But notice the first rejection. The first rejection, it comes to or comes from the world. And notice the detail. Jesus, the creator of the world, and John wants to make sure we completely understand that. We see that in the first five verses, and it goes all the way back to Genesis 1. But when something is made, when when something is created. And I don't know if your kids it's that time of year they're making all kinds of ornaments or things for your house. But everything they make, everything that they create or paint is actually an extension of them. Everything that's ever been created is an extension of the creator. A painter they're known by their work because in their work it reflects who they are something that's made or created, it's an extension of that artist. So notice verse 10. Jesus was in the world. He's the creator of it, but he is in it. So what does that mean? That means everything that he created has his influence and his character in it. But Jesus' own creation did not even know him. But it's not that the world just didn't know about the light. It actually, he's talking, it's an active refusal to believe. So I think this is why we live in such a dangerous time. So this word no, the word no here is not talking about the lack of a head knowledge. Like if you were to grow up in the Bahamas and you really have no idea what winter might be like, you just don't have any knowledge of it. But no, what he means by no is that there are people that are confusing things. And we live in a day and time where people are confusing knowing a lot of facts about Jesus for what true belief and saving faith are. So when John says they did not know him, knowing in this sense he's talking about a relational idea of not knowing a lot of facts about someone. It's different than actually knowing that person. In fact, that word know, you could go to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. It's the same premise where it says that now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain. It's not that he knew a lot of facts about Eve. That's not going to help him. But he knew her. He was in relationship with her. So knowing is more than intellectual assent. It's relational. So it's not that the world did not have knowledge of the light but that they willfully rejected the light that was actually shown before them. So his own creation, his own world chose to reject the light. But then notice verse 11, the second group that's going to reject him. He, Jesus, the light, the true light, he came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. And for me, I think that is one of the saddest verses in all of the Scriptures, that the light went to His own people, His own home, and they did not welcome it. It's referring to Israel's rejection of the Messiah that had been prophesied and promised for thousands of years. And they refused to accept Him as the revelation sent by the Father, and they refused to obey His commands. He simply said, I, I don't know you. I was reading a story over this last week, I think paints such a great picture of this. It was a story about a poor family, uh, was from farming land during the Depression time. This family who had this one son in their family, the parents wanted the very best for this son. So they scrimped and they saved so that they could send this son to college. And they made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. So after he'd been gone for a year or so, his parents missed him desperately. And so they loved him and they wanted to go see him. So again, they saved. They sold things. Finally had enough to make that journey to go see their son. They arrive on that campus and they see things they've never seen before. They begin looking and finally their eyes catch their son. They arrived on campus poorly dressed in their farm clothes. It was all they had. Seeing their son with some of the other boys, the father ran over to him. Son, son, it's your father, he said. That son looked at his father without showing any sign of recognition. The father said again, Son, it's it's your father and your mother. We've come to see you. The boy, I don't know, maybe perhaps embarrassed by his parents' poverty, turned to the other students and he said, I don't know who that is. Man, he must be crazy. When we think about how horrible, how horrible could a son turn his back on his parents after all they did for him? How much more terrible is it in verse 11 that he came to his own. And But his own did not receive him. He was rejected by those whom he spoke into existence by his word, by those that he, for a thousand years, had been preparing the way. His own people rejected him. But the horror continues that for 2,000 years, as the light has continued to be reflected into a dark world, people are still rejecting him today. But the good news is John is not finished with us. The good news is this. There is a way out of the darkness. Look at verse 12. But to all who did, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So from the saddest of sentences to the glory of just one word, but... So not everyone rejected light. Some allowed their eyes to adjust, and they received it. And they did this by believing in His name. In fact, what we've just read is the salvation experience of every single person that has ever believed or ever will be saved. They received, and they believed. But what does that really mean? Well, these two words of receiving and believing, in fact, they cannot be separated. To believe something, it means to receive it, and to receive it, it means to believe it. So, what does receiving and believing in Jesus then look like? Well, receiving or believing Jesus means that when Jesus offers Himself to you, you welcome Him into your life for what He is. If He comes to you as Savior, you welcome his salvation. If he comes to you as a leader, you welcome his leadership. If he comes to you as provider, you welcome his provision. If he comes to you as counselor, you welcome his counsel. If he comes to you as authority, you welcome his authority. And if he comes to you as king, you welcome his rule. So receiving Jesus means taking Jesus into your life for what he is. And then notice the result when this happens. He gave the right to become children of God. That their status changes from enemies to actually being children. And those who believe, they're empowered to become His children. The new birth and new identity is given to them. And the last thought, the last... Thought in this passage, then, is then how does this new identity happen? Where does where does this belief come from? Do you have it? Do you, do you have to look somewhere for it? Then where does it come from? Because I remember going, okay, that's what I want. That is what I need. So he lays this out in verse 13. And listen, it's not at all usually what we think of. John says, those that received and those that believed. In the name of him who were born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and not of the will of man, but of God. So we have to ask, what is John getting at? Well, you and I, we come into this world and you are spiritually dead. There's no spiritual life in you whatsoever. We are sinners, every single one of us, and we come into this world complete enemies of God Almighty. And there is nothing in us that would ever cause you to seek after God. There's nothing in you that would ever cause you to go looking for Him. In fact, all you want to do is run from Him so what needs to happen we need to be as the scripture talks about reborn we need to have spiritual life to be able to see things as he does and this is what god does according to john 13 without any help from us because it's not of the will of your flesh it's not of blood And it's not even of your own will. You don't will it up to happen. It says it is but of God. You are born of God by His free act of sovereign grace. John is saying there is nothing, there is nothing that you can count on within yourself to bring you to God. There's nothing. There's nothing in you that would ever seek Him but I know that can be a little scary. As we talk about, whoa, don't I have a part in this? And absolutely, but here's the great news. If salvation begins and it ends with God, that means there is no one beyond His reach. If it begins and it ends with Him, no one is beyond His reach. Because if salvation begins and ends with Him and His gracious action in our lives, no one is beyond His reach. But if salvation is based on a family tree or a person's willpower or even their good deeds, then only those that come from the right family or have a really strong willpower or just morally good people, they're the only ones with hope. But when salvation... When salvation is God's sovereign act in our lives, no one is beyond his loving reach of salvation. That's the only hope for sinners. Then what are you to do when that happens? You receive and you believe. So what does this mean for us today? This next week, we're going to continue on in the first chapter of John in verse 14. But what about today? What do we do with, with what we have? And it seems like we have this complete interruption with John. And then he gives us two groups of people, those that rejected and those that were received. Well, I want to leave you with two thoughts. So John, the, John the Baptist, or really John the witness, he is introduced here this morning to show us that God wants to use us That we are God's plan for shining the light of Christ into a dark world. God had a unique and he had a very purposeful plan for John's life. And guess what he does for you also. Because you read those words. We read about this and I know we think, no way, not me. And I want to say, yes, you. The church, you and I, we are God's plan, and there is no plan B. This is it. This is God's plan, and we have to trust this is the best way that darkness gets pushed back. God wants to use you to push back the darkness in the lives of others. So the meanings there are people that God has ordained before the foundations of the world for you to be the one to reflect the light of Christ too. Because think about that phrase again. I want you to go back to the very first of verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And that's the phrase that I hope you walk out of here today. There was a man sent from God whose name was was John. Because think about the people. Think about the people that God sent into your life that you could put their name there. There was a man or there was a woman sent from God whose name was. Now, I know for me, for me, it was Jim Young. Jim Young was a I don't know, Jim Young, he was a, I don't know if he was poor, I don't know, I was a kid, I didn't know, but John, uh, I mean, Jim, Jim Young, he was a dairy farmer. But for my sixth and seventh grade years, I can remember this dairy farmer being there at my church every single Sunday to a bunch of rowdy, reckless, paying no attention, sixth and seventh grade boys. We were in this old house across the street from the church. And he would let us boys sit on the back row and lean our chairs up against the back wall. I know you're not supposed to do that, but he did. But I remember each and every week, there stood Jim Young. He never missed a week except to go pheasant hunting one weekend a year. And you know what he did? He brought those pheasants and those birds home and he cooked them and he invited every boy and their dad to his home. So I would say there was a man Sent from God, whose name was Jim Young. I was talking to a friend this week, and he said, For me, I would say there was a woman, a 76 year old widow, who went home every week and watched the Cowboys so she could come and talk to a bunch of boys on Sunday morning about the Cowboys. He said she had no, she, she couldn't care less about those Cowboys, but because those boys did. She did. Last night I was having supper with my parents and I, I drove so I had my dad's keys and my da- I pulled them out and there was this small little screwdriver and I can remember seeing this screwdriver on my dad's keys ever since I, I could remember. And I said, Dad, how old is that little screwdriver and why in the world are you keeping it on your keychain? He said, I've had that thing for over 50 years. And he said, it was given to me by Mr. Glaylock who took a poor, dirty boy and invited him into his home. He allowed me to be friends with his son. And he says, it's because of him I know Jesus. So he'd say there was a man sent from God whose name is Mr. Glaylock. So here's the hope. Hopefully one day there will be people that you will be able to hear. To say, you know what, I was in complete darkness. But there was a man or a woman sent from God whose name was, and your name is spoken. Because God was not just involved in sending Jesus. He is just as involved in sending witnesses about Him. And that's you. You are sent into this world. And so the second thought would be this. We saw in verse 12. The sad truth that many rejected the light. the sad news is that not everyone, not everyone is a child of God. Some are still living in darkness. So I want you to fix your mind on this next question. Not everyone is a child of God, am I? I mean, ask, ask yourself right now. Fix your mind on that question. And are you continuing to reject the light? Are you trusting in the wrong things to make you right before God? What is your salvation from sin and death? What is it based upon? Because knowing a lot of facts about Jesus will never be good enough. Just because you may not be as bad as someone else, never going to get you there. Just because you may have a bag of good deeds. And what we see clearly today, what we see this morning, is that the only way to experience this new birth is through believing in His name. Nothing more and nothing less. And so, you know, this time of year, it's, we're, we're surrounded by lights. There's lights on your house, there's lights on your tree, there's lights on your mantles. There's lights everywhere. So when you see those lights on your tree or on your house, I want you to think about Why the true light of Jesus came into the world. Think about it. Reflect upon it. And then think about those people, that person that God sent in the world for you to push back the darkness that was in your life. Maybe you would be so moved to contact them or write them to let them know to say there was a man or there was a woman sent from God to push back the darkness in my life, and it was you. And then I would say, then open up yourself every time you see those lights. Open up yourself. Be alert to the possibility of God's call in your life to those that God wants you to reflect His light to. Because hopefully, you'll get to stand in eternity one day, and you'll be able to hear. There was a man or there was a woman sent from God in their name, is you, Let's pray. Father, this morning we come before you and how great to see our children singing truth about who you are. That as young as they were, that even in that moment, Lord, they are shining a light, whether they realize it or not. And so, Father, for one, I am so thankful for the people that you sent into the world for me. I think of Jim Young, I think of Tommy Dyer, I think of Steve Butler, I think of my parents. Lord, it it took an army. But Lord, you got me here. Not anything on my own, not my family, not my good deeds, not even my own will was enough. Lord, thank you for shining that light into my life. And so Lord, I would pray over this season that we would be reminded of those that you used in our life. Lord, help us to not stop that light. Help us to be aware of those around us, those neighbors, those coworkers, those friends of our children. Then, in some way, you would use us to shine the light into their life, that you would push back the darkness that is there. And so, Lord, it is in your son's name that we celebrate, that we know came and we believe. And, Lord, we look forward to his return again. It is in his name and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.